Well, good morning, Faith Fellowship Church. Oh, we're going to do that again. Good morning, Faith Fellowship Church. All right. Welcome to our upper room service, or what we call Communion Sunday. The kids stay in service on Communion Sunday, and whenever possible, we like to invite them on up to help out a little bit. So kids, here's what I need you to do as you make your way down. I need you to make sure you bring that sheet of paper that you got with you. And if you're younger than, I don't know, maybe seven, you need to bring an adult with you. There's a twist. Bring one adult with you. You may need their help. So moms and dads, come on down with your kids and join me up here. As always, as an incentive to participate we have candy. We have some good candy. We got Butterfingers and Snickers and Crunch, all sorts of good stuff. My oldest daughter, my oldest granddaughter is going to be down here to help as well. So actually, if you guys are down here along this outside perimeter, you're going to need to be folding paper, and so you may need a flat surface. And so all of you that are out here in the audience, you also have a piece of paper. You can participate along with us. If you're watching online, you're going to need an eight and a half sheet of paper to participate. So, who knows what origami is? I know how to make an origami flower. You know how to make an origami flower. So, what is origami? Origami is like when you fold it first. That's right. Very good. Art out of paper like the flower you talked about. That's what origami is. So, today... We are going to be ambitious and try some origami. Okay, so we're going to start by folding this piece of paper longwise right down the middle and creasing it. Okay? Right, now you want to open it up and fold it the other way and crease it. All right. Everybody should be here at this point. Okay, you want to open it up. You want, you want the... Uh, the open portion to be at the bottom. Yep, you, you, that, that's looking good. Okay. All right, now we're going to take and fold these upper corners right to the middle on both sides. So when you're done, you should have something that looks you know, like a house roof or the start of a paper airplane, which is not what we're making. Yes, like that. Very good. So far, so good. I'm amazed. All right. Now, you got two lower flaps here at the bottom. We're going to fold. We're going to fold those up so that what you wind up, and I'll show you mine in just a second, fold up on both sides. It, it kind of looks like a party hat. So fold those two flaps up. Yep, fold it up. All along, you can do it down on the floor. It's easier. If you need to get down on the floor or the stage and do it, it's a lot easier to do. Okay, next. From the bottom, you're good. We're good. We're gonna. You're gonna open this up kind of like it's a party hat. In fact, if you stopped right there, you would actually have a little party hat. But we're gonna open it up all the way and fold it flat the other direction. Now you're going to notice these little edges at the bottom, they kind of run into each other. You can tuck one under, it doesn't matter which one. Do that on both sides. 
So when you're done, you should have a square that I'm holding sort of in a diamond position. Uh, yeah, like that. Perfect. Okay. Well, the kids up on stage are following along quite well. All right. I'm going to open that up in the middle, underneath of here, like so. Hold that corner under. Hold that corner under and hold that like that. Okay, now, almost done. We're going to take, take the flaps are at the bottom. We're going to take that and fold that up to the top to make a triangle. Both sides. So when you're done, you should have a triangle. All this to get to a clue. <laughs> All right. I see some triangles out there. I'm impressed. The adults can follow along. We're almost there on stage. Yep, flip it over like that. Doing good. Okay. Wow, and I made like 20 of these just in case this was a total disaster, but so far so good. All right, so this opened from the bottom like the party hat thing before. So we're going to open it all the way and fold it the other direction flat. So you should still have that, but it's folded the other way. Yep. Very good. Whoop. Here, we have some here that are already folded just in case. All right. So now... What you'll notice is that at the top of this thing, you can kind of open this up like it's a fortune cookie and pull it open and, and smush it flat so you have something that looks like that. <laughs> All right. And if you pull the sides open a little bit, you have what is a, who knows what that is? A paper, boat. a paper boat. Yes. And that is the clue. That is the clue for today. A paper boat. Now, if you didn't get it, I have some you could, you could kind of open, pull apart, see me afterwards. You can go online on YouTube and, and watch how to make a paper boat. Once you've done it once or twice, you can do it with your eyes closed. So in the New Testament, there were lots of stories about boats. But I'm thinking of an Old Testament story about a boat, Noah's Ark. It happened even before it rained. Very good. And so that is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Noah. So boys and girls, thank you. We have candy. Can I have it all? No, but you can have a couple. Can I have the have leftovers? Two. No. Oh. <laughs> I get the leftovers. That's why I buy good candy. All right, grab a couple and head on back to your How seat. Many is a two. two is a couple. Well, no, technically four would be a couple. No, two would be a couple. Oh, that's, oh you sure can. You want two? You're welcome. You hurry up now. Go. Yeah. All right, to your seats. Beautiful. Okay. Whew. Hebrews 11, 7. 
It says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things, actually, let me back up. We're going we're gonna to build an ark. We're going we're gonna to build an ark. We built a boat. We are going to talk about Noah. And the picture that you see up on the screen, that is a picture of Noah's ark in the playroom at the Museum of the Bible in D.C. Now, if you've never been, it's well worth a trip. It's really well done. It's not a huge thing for little kids, but it's a phenomenal place. You could spend all day there. I highly recommend it. And I think right now they're having a sale where kids under 17 are, are free with a paying adult. So, Hebrews 11.7, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he contemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you that you are a God who is in control of everything. We thank you that we can trust you, that we can place our faith in you. And Father, that you simply ask us to trust you. Father, may we trust you with our lives, with all that we have, knowing that you care for us, that you are for us and not against us. We thank you for your presence with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the question I have for you this morning is, why did God choose Noah? Of all the people God could have chosen, when God destroyed the world with a flood, archaeologists estimate that there could have been, the Bible doesn't say, but there could have been as many as 750 million people living. You've heard the expression, you're one in a million. Well, Noah was that 750 times over. Why did God choose Noah? So let's just bring it down to today. Imagine if you were God. What kind of person would you choose to start the human race all over again? Who would you choose if you were God? Well, let's bring it down to today and now. If God were to make the decision today to destroy the world and start over, would God choose you? Would God choose you? <laughs> that kind of makes me uneasy. Why did God choose Noah? The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16:9, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, strengthening those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So God, he looks at the heart. Why did God choose Noah? Well, let's look at that this morning because I want to see four things, four qualities of the type of person that God uses. Now, the story of Noah is in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 6. And in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, we have his whole story. And from it, we can glean four characteristics of the type of person that God uses. The first characteristic we find in Genesis 6, verses 5 to 8. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But, and that's the word you need to notice, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God looked down. And he found one man 
that he could use. Why did God use Noah? Well, first off, Noah was available. Well, that's pretty obvious. He was available. He was here on earth. He was alive. God's looking around for one live guy. There's Noah. The fact is, here's this entire population. He only chooses, and he's only able to find one person. You see, in God's eyes, ability, availability rather, is much more important than our ability. Availability is much more important than our ability. Your attitude is much more important than your aptitude. Most of us use our aptitude as an excuse. Oh, I could never do that. God could never use me. I can't do anything. When it's simply being available. Anthony Campello was a, a professor of sociology and a Baptist preacher. And he was invited one day to speak at a college in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. He drove to the college, and before he was to speak, several men took him in the back and began to pray for him that God would use his speech. While these men were praying, one man, kind of off the cup, he prayed something a little odd. He said, and Lord, about Bert Harris. Bert Harris, he needs you really bad. And he lives in that trailer down the street, and he's considering leaving his family and wife. Lord, if you could just get through to Bert Harris, that would be great. And then he went on with his prayer. Anthony Capella thought, well, that's a strange thing to pray right now. He went out and he spoke and he finished his message and he got in his car and he was driving home. On his way, he happened to pick up a hitchhiker. He said, now I know it's not supposed to it's not a good idea to pick up hitchhikers. You're not really supposed to do that. But, you know, being a preacher, I take, care of, uh, you know, I take advantage of any opportunity to have a captive audience. And so he stopped, and he picked up this hitchhiker, and the hitchhiker hopped in the car anyway, and, and off they went. And then Anthony said, by the way, my name is Anthony Capella. What's your name? And you might have guessed it. The man said, my name is Bert Harris. Anthony Capella stopped the car suddenly, turned it around, and went in the opposite direction. The man said, well, what, what are you doing? He said, I'm taking you back to your wife and family who you were trying to leave. The man went white. He didn't say another word the whole trip. They drove straight up to the guy's trailer, and he said, how did you know I lived here? And Anthony Capella said, God told me. And in a way, he really had Anthony took the man inside. The family was put back together. The marriage restored, and God did an exciting thing. You say, how come God doesn't do that with me? How come those things never happen to me? Why doesn't God use me like that? Well, Anthony Capella would tell you, if you just make yourself available, God will wear you out. It's simply being available. Being available is what he's looking for. We need to be available and start focusing on what we can't do and let God decide what we can't do. I think that when we get to heaven, we'll be very surprised to see who it is that God used. They weren't superstars. They weren't gifted. They weren't talented people. They're ordinary people with faults and hang-ups and fears. They're not necessarily brilliant or intelligent. They are simply available, and Noah was available. The longer I'm a Christian, the more I realize that God does not need rock stars and superstars. He simply needs ordinary people who will say, I want to be used by an extraordinary God. God uses people who are available. The second quality comes in verse 9 of chapter 6. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. 
Notice that phrase, he was blameless among the people of God. Morally, Noah was a man of deep conviction. He dared to be different. He stood out. He was not afraid to stand alone or to stand out. He was not afraid of what other people thought. He wasn't out to win a popularity contest. God uses people who dare to be different. In verse 11 and 12, it says that there was corruption, violence, and immorality. The society in his time was morally bankrupt. Sound familiar? Sounds kind of like the day we're in today. It was the pits, yet Noah was not influenced by all those things around him. In spite of the fact that he lived in a terrible society, it says that he was blameless among the people of his time. He was not afraid to stand alone. In America, we have a tendency to think that the majority is always right. If everybody's doing it, it must be okay. If it's popular, it must be kosher. But Noah refused to go with the majority. The majority is often wrong. Noah said one plus God equals a majority, and that's the way he looked at life. Think about the criticism that Noah probably received building the ark, the ridicule from his neighbors. <laughs> Noah, he's, he's a crackpot. His cheese done slid off his cracker. The elevator doesn't go all the way to the top floor. He's a few fries short of a Happy Meal. I'm not sure they had the golden arches back then, but if they did, that's what they've been saying. That old man, oh, he's over there building a boat. They'd see him in the grocery store buying laundry detergent, and they'd be whispering behind his back, there he is, there he is, that strange fellow. He thinks the world's going to end. And it's happened for a long time. Then he probably got pressure from his family. How would you like to be Noah's kid? You were in school, and they asked, Johnny, what does your daddy do for a living? You try to come up with the best way you could phrase it. Uh, 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 he's a naval architect. Oh, your dad's the ark builder. <laughs> naval architect. You can't hide behind that. Dad, that boat in the front yard, it's embarrassing. Can't you get a normal job? That doomsday talk, it's all over town. You know, I used to work for a company called DCA. It stood for Donut Corporation of America. I've got the assets right here, Donut Corporation of America. We designed and built food to the, to the donut processing industry. You ever been in a Krispy Kreme, looked in the window, seen that equipment? I designed equipment like that, in some cases, some of that equipment. Sounds cool, doesn't it? It was and fun, especially at testing time. I never missed it testing time. Let me tell you, I was always there for testing time. But when they asked my oldest daughter, what her dad did. Do you think she said all that cool stuff? No, she said, he makes donuts. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I sounded like the guy from the commercial, time to make the donuts. <laughs> right? He probably got a lot of flack, not only from his friends, but also his family. Could you put up with being misunderstood and criticized year after year because of your convictions, because you were doing what was right? Conformity is often the enemy of Christianity. Paul says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12, 2. In America, we don't get a lot of persecution, but that doesn't stop us from worrying about being different, does it? We want to blend in. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be known as unique for being a Christian. The popular opinion is to blend in. Boyd George summarized it in his song, Karma Chameleon, when he said, I'm a man without conviction. I just blend in. I don't have any beliefs or convictions. 
Noah was not afraid to stand alone. While everybody else was going to the dogs, he said, I will not participate in those kinds of things. He was blameless among the people of his time. The book of Proverbs says that fear, the fear of man, is a snare or a trap. That means that if you're worrying all the time what people think, you're going to have a hard time. If you're worried about what you look like, you're going to have a hard time serving God. If you're worried about what does everybody else think, you're in trouble. Noah was available and he was willing to be different. He was willing to stand out in a crowd. He had conviction. What gave him the confidence to be different for so many years? Well, it says in verse 9 that he walked with God. He had a relationship with God, and that gave him the strength to say, I don't care what everybody else does. I'm going to do what I think is right. And that's the kind of person that God can use. There's a third characteristic in Noah's life. God uses people who follow him completely. God uses people who follow him completely, not on their timetable, not when they want to, not when it's convenient, not in their way, but completely and without question. The people God uses are people who follow his directions and don't make excuses. Genesis 6.22 says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. The project God gave Noah did not make sense. And it didn't make sense for several reasons. One, did you know that before the flood, it never rained? It says that the earth was watered from a mist that came up from the ground like dew in the morning. The whole atmosphere was different because it had never rained. So here's Noah building an ark in the middle of dry ground. And they say, well, what are you doing that for? And he says, well, it's going to rain. And they're like, what's rain? It didn't make sense. The boat was massive. How is he going to move this thing? How's he going to get it into the water and launch it? Didn't make sense. The greatest thing probably of all is how is he going to herd all of those animals? That's absurd. Well, the Bible tells us that God sent them. Only God could do something like that. How do you explain that? I can't explain it, but if God can do and create the world, he can certainly round up a few animals. He can do whatever else that he wants to do. The thing about Noah is he didn't argue. He didn't complain. He didn't explain it away. He just said, okay, Lord, whatever you say. He just had this great attitude. He followed God to the letter. And one of the tests, the real test of faith is, how do I follow God's will? Do I follow his instructions when it makes sense, when I, only when I understand it? A number of you are parents, so you probably identify with this. Maybe your kids do this. When I told my kids to do something, they always wanted to know why. And I would say, because I said so. There you go, right? Or maybe you go, and then maybe I'll tell you why. See, that, that's obedience. And that's why God, what God says to us, you just obey, and then maybe I'll explain why. Maybe I'll show you the reasons. Then you'll see the benefits. It wouldn't be faith if we saw it all up front. Noah was available. Noah dared to be different. Noah followed God completely. And that's why God could use him. God uses also people who never give up. When you look at Moses, Moses had to wait 80 years for the fulfillment of, God's, uh, of seeing God's people, Israel, freed out of Egypt. 80 years. Noah had to wait longer. Noah is a key example of patience and persistence and determination. He was a hard worker. The Bible says it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. At least that's the time span that we figure out was there for him, which he could get that done. The Bible says that, no, that uh, God delayed the flood for a period of time. Then God said, my spirit 
will not contend with man forever. It's Genesis 6.3. He's saying there's going to be a time limit for his patience. There's a limit that he'll put up with the craziness from mankind. There's a time limit on what he will take as disobedience in the human race. My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. And 120 years later, the flood happened. This is saying that after the decision was made, 120 years happened. Well, there was a delay. Why was there a delay? Well, it took Noah that long to build the ark. Look how hard it was to build a paper boat. Some of us didn't get there. Imagine God explaining to Noah how to build this ark with instructions. No, I said 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high, not the other way around. That'll never float. Noah, we're going to have to start all over. Step one, get some sturdy gopher wood. Step two, fold it in half, right? Pull this open, flip it that way. This is, why did God wait? It took Noah a long time to build that boat. And he had to have it built. God was waiting for Noah to get that done. And here's the question. If you want to be used by God, could you maintain enthusiasm for a project that took that long to complete? Do you think you could maintain motivation and keep that up? Do you think you could stay excited and, and keep on every morning getting up for your entire life? Can you imagine Mrs. Noah? See, I don't have to. I've been working on whatever house we live in for as long as we've been married, 38 years, and none of them were ever done. I just finished the deck on the house we currently live in after 18 to 24 months of, of planning and construction. I can imagine Noah coming home from work one night and missing Noah and asking him, how was work today, honey? Are you done yet? How many trips did you make to Home Depot today? <laughs> he just kept plodding along. I just bet there were many days that Noah looked at that ark and says, oh, I am tired of doing this. There must have been weeks when he didn't want to look at that anymore. I've done my duty. I don't want to get out of bed today. I don't feel like it. But he is the example of persistence. Day in and day out, building, nailing, tar papering for whatever, 120 years. By Noah's standards, that leaves me 82 years to finish whatever house I happen to be in. At the age of 59, I'm not sure I'm going to make that. I'm sure he thought I've worked on this thing for 50 years. Give me a gold watch. Somebody else can pick up the cause and, and keep on going. Noah never gave up. One of the reasons why God does not use many people is because we give up too soon. There are three things that will tempt you to give up. One is problems. Problems will tempt you to give up on God's plan. You ever notice that every good idea always has something wrong with it? There's always something that doesn't quite work out. In every possibility, there is a problem. That's how we grow. It's how we mature. It's how we develop. And there were an infinite number of problems for Noah building the ark. How do you gather all the food you need to sustain all of those animals and themselves? And not everybody likes hay. I mean, it's a huge problem. The biggest problem of all is what are you going to do with all the, the sanitation needs of all those animals? Imagine being cooped up for 40 days and 40 nights with all of those animals. Got to go someplace. Ooh, that had to smell pretty bad. Well, what's the alternative? Jump overboard and drown? Not, not much of a choice. There were problems. Problems will tempt you. Pressures will tempt you to give up before you've accomplished your goal. I'm sure Noah must have thought, man, this is too big for me. Too much responsibility just on one man's shoulders. The pressure will tempt you to give up. People will tempt you to give up. People will disappoint you. People will misunderstand you. People will criticize you. People will let you down. 
and they will tempt you to give up. God used Noah because he was a man of commitment. He never, never, ever gave up. What has God been doing in your life lately? I'm not talking about last year. I'm talking about last week or last month. When was the last time that God used you in an exciting way to help someone else? Most of those examples may not be as dramatic as the story I told about Anthony Capella, but God will use you if you are usable. Would you like to be used by God? That's where we find fulfillment in life. It's where we find our purpose in bringing honor and glory to Him in serving others. It's where we find satisfaction. We don't find it in these other things. You find it by being available. You find it by daring to be different. You find it by following God completely. And you find it by never giving up. You find it in finding God's purpose and plan and then getting right in the middle of that and staying there. There's an epilogue to Noah's life in Genesis 9. I wish it wasn't there because it's kind of a downer on the story of Noah. The Bible says that here was this man who lived blameless all his days, the only godly man that God could find on earth, persistent, available, all these great things that God says about him. He built the ark, and after the flood, when the land had dried up, it says that he built a vineyard and he fermented grapes, and he got drunk, and he took off all his clothes, and he made an utter fool of himself. He got drunk, he got naked. Why? He had a spotless record. And then at the end of his life, he blew it. The thing about the Bible is it never glosses over those kinds of things. One of the reasons I believe this is a supernatural book written by God himself, inspired, is not not simply written by man, is that if it were written by man, you'd never hear about all those low points. You'd only hear about the high points of the things that these heroes had done. Why is it in the Bible? Because the Bible tells us the truth even when it hurts. The Bible says that Moses was a great man. He led the children of Israel out of Egypt, yet Moses was a murderer. The Bible says that David, who wrote the Psalms, was not only an adulterer, but also a murderer. Lays it on the line right out front. It says they blew it. And Noah, who lived perfect all of those days, he, he blew it in the end. It's kind of a downer. But at the same time, it's also kind of encouraging. The fact is that Noah was imperfect. He was human. He blew it. He had a problem. He made a fool of himself. But in spite of that, God still put him in the hall of fame in Hebrews 11. That's the kind of God we worship. A God who, although he does not compromise on sin, he is a compassionate God and he is forgiving. He says, you can start over. I don't care how many times you've blown it. You can start over. I don't care what mistakes you've made. I don't care how many times you've fallen on your face. You're not a failure if you're a fall. You're a failure if you refuse to get back up again and keep going. Maybe you've had a divorce. Maybe you have a a moral problem. Maybe you've had a bad habit you can't shake. Maybe you're still fighting that habit. Maybe you have some fears or insecurities. Maybe you've got a temper or a problem with jealousy. Maybe you feel inferior and you don't like the way you look. I don't care what your hang-up is. We all have them. But that does not disqualify you from being used by God. If God only used perfect people, who would he use? God uses ordinary people. Faith that you'll commit today to be available to God, to dare to be different, to dare to be obedient, to dare to never give up, then God will use you in mighty ways just like he did Noah. I want to finish this morning as we prepare for communion 
with a quick look at Genesis chapter 5. Uh, ushers and worship leaders, you can make your way down. You can uh, mosey on up. we got a little bit to go, but not too long. You know, we've titled this study through Genesis as Genesis, Where It All Began. Well, where what all began? Well, kind of everything, really. But most importantly, God's plan to restore what was broken by Adam in man, what was broken by Adam in the earth, and all creation. From day one, God's eternal plan and presence can be seen and traced through time and history, all the way up to the point at which His only Son, Jesus Christ, came down to take on human form and to pay the debt that we owed. Let me show you uh, what this looks like in Genesis chapter 5. In Genesis 5, we have a genealogy from Adam to Noah. You may be going, oh no, a genealogy. We skip those. It's just hard names I can't read and I'll never remember. But God has them there for a reason. I'll summarize. Adam became the father of Seth. Seth became the father of Enosh. Enosh became the father of Kenan. Kenan became the father of Mahalael. Mahalael became the father of Jared. Jared became the father of Enoch. Enoch became the father of Methuselah. Methuselah became the father of Lamech. And Lamech became the father of Noah. Ten names in all. Here's the problem and why we miss what is right in front of us to see. We need to know what those names mean. In the Bible, names are significant and they have meaning. They weren't given randomly. It might have seemed that way to the parents. They were just choosing a name. But God had something else in mind. If you have a study Bible, you'll know that Adam means man. And oftentimes when you see a name for the first time in the Scriptures, it, it might show up in those side references and say what it meant. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal, mortal man, but its focus is on his mortality. Kenan is a tougher one. It can mean to possess, but it can also mean sorrow. Mahalael means the blessed one or the praised God or the shining one of God. Jared means he came down. Enoch means to teach or teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring forth. Lamech means the despairing. Noah means rest or comfort. Now let's read that genealogy as a sentence. Man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God or the praised God or the shining one of God, he came down teaching his death shall bring forth the despairing rest or comfort. Wow, look at that. Hidden in a genealogy is the entire message that God has started from day one, over 16, uh, 1,656 years from Adam to the flood, a proclamation of his plan spread out over their lives. You can't make that kind of stuff up. This morning, let's remember the shining one of God.